Buenos dias. Como tan? Good morning. Good to be here with you. It's been a while. Um, have great memories of uh, First Alliance. One of the biggest ones I have is uh, you all sending probably 10 bags with us to South America for us. And I don't know how that happened. I don't even remember the details. It was probably 20 years ago. But um, I do remember dropping off some bags in this office, and they disappeared and arrived in uh, wherever we were at that point. So anyway, greetings from my wife as well. She's in Newcastle today. And, um, and lots of memories, people that have been here before, especially Tom and Tina Froelich, uh, who we worked with so closely for many years, and um, Char Myers, a few other people. And um, so a little bit of a connection here with you all, and uh, glad to be here. Plus, I feel a little bit, I'm from Maine, and um, I feel just a little bit of a, a country connection here, so thanks for that. Uh, doesn't feel a real big city, so thanks for feeling, helping me to feel welcome. So, um, Uruguay. Uh, if you're like we were when we heard we were going to Uruguay, you probably are not too sure where that is. Um, and maybe some of you do know exactly where it is, but we didn't. And so when they told us we were going there, we were like, um, okay, is that landlocked or is that inland? And is that under Brazil or so where is it? Well, anyway, um, it is the you know, Uruguay and Paraguay. Uruguay is on the coast. Paraguay is landlocked. And it's under Brazil. It's across the bay from Argentina. So it's pretty far south. It has the same latitude as North Carolina does here in the north. Um, and Uruguay means land east of the river of the painted birds. So there you go. It's a hard word to say. It's a hard word to understand. <laughs> but uh, it's a great little country. 3.2 million people. About half of them live in the capital city of Montevideo. Um, we've been working in the interior the whole time we've been there. Um, but we do have a pretty big mission uh, presence in Montevideo now. I think we have six or seven missionary families. So um, uh, Uruguay has 3.2 million people, and they have 12 million cows. <laughs> so uh, you can imagine, if there's ever a stampede, they're in trouble. Um, so very famous for their beef, love beef. They, eat, they could be, eat beef every day of the week. Um, I don't know how their cholesterol is, but let's not get into that. Um, so anyway, uh, and in this strange little uh, place that kind of looks like Iowa without the silos, uh, and it's the size of Washington State, God is building a church. And there's people, I, sometimes I think of Uruguay as being kind of the outpost, you know, one of those last stops on the train. And um, that's what it feels like. And actually, our presence in Uruguay, we are only in three South American countries now as the Christian Missionary Alliance. And Uruguay is one of them. And we've only been there. Actually, the Frolics were the ones who opened uh, our presence there as missionaries. Um, and that was in 1999. Uh, Laura and I have been there since 2003. And so, um, but the church is probably 40, 45 years old. There's only 12 churches, maybe 13 or 14 at this point. Um, and um, one or two are fairly good size, but most of them, we've really not been able to penetrate the major city in Uruguay, which is the capital of Montevideo. Um, and now we have three works that we're working on there. So this morning, um, I just wanted to, to share a message the Lord's laid on my heart 
And I, I'm trusting, praying that he'll uh, just use it uh, however he would to bring glory to him. Amen? And um, so if you want to interact with me by saying amen or raising your hand or it'll make me feel right at home, um, I don't see any crying babies. That would help too. Um, but anyway, um, feel free to interact with me and um, any way that you can. So... Um, uh, we read the scripture, and uh, really uh, pulling out of that scripture in Third John, um, it was for the sake of the name that they went out, and that's the scripture that that called my attention um, when I was looking for a sermon to preach while I'm on tour. And that's uh, for the sake of the name, they they went out. And, you know, I thought, I thought, wow, you know, all the years and all the ministry and all the moving, um, but it was for the sake of the name, and it is for the sake of the name, amen? And, uh, you know, you boil it down, and that's really what it comes down to. You know, we do all this, we live, we serve for Jesus, and we, we share, we sacrifice our lives, really, for Jesus, and that really is the ultimate cause. You know, I can't think of a better way to spend our lives than serving the Lord in whatever capacity He has us doing that. Amen? And so, um, um, you know, um, this whole context of this, uh, John is writing to his friend Gaius, and he's saying to him, um, it's really in the context of hospitality. And it's a great thing. And actually, North Americans do good at hospitality. And I've been in a, I can't even tell you how many homes. And um, it's, it's always just a great thing to share a meal, to be in somebody's home, to meet them. And I looked up the definition of hospitality, and it says this, welcoming one another into our home and our hearts. And I like that. Because I think that really does kind of reflect what hospitality is all about, you know? You're not only giving somebody maybe a meal and a bed, but you're opening your heart to them. You're opening your home. You're opening your lives to them. And so that's really what's going on here, too. These servants that were going from home to home and preaching the gospel town to town, these other people were opening their hearts to them and giving them a place to stay and a meal. And praise the Lord for people like that and people like you who do that. Um, and um, it's really, uh, it may sound small, but there's nothing small in the kingdom of God. Amen? And so um, I think it's important to just remember that. Um, so, so we went out in the name of Jesus. And you do what you do in the name of Jesus. Amen? Um, there's something, uh, Jesus was teaching his disciples, and he was talking about the end times, and they were asking him about it, and they were saying, well, when is this going to happen, and, and what, uh, what, is, uh, what are the signs? And so he replied in Luke, uh, this is Luke 21, 8, um, and here Jesus said, watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. This continues to happen all around the world and right here in this country. People are going out in other names. And sometimes people are very confused. In fact, you don't know how many times people will say to me, 
oh, are you a particular missionary? And I'm like, no, I'm not that particular missionary. I'm uh, a Christian missionary, you know, and, and I'm, but I understand why they're confused because they see so many of them. And so, um, you know, like I said, we didn't really know where Uruguay was when we were told we were going to be going there. Um, but Uruguay's on the map for a lot of people. And where we live, in the town where we live, it's about 120,000 people, Salto. It's up on the uh, border with Argentina, about three-quarters of the way up the country of Uruguay. And anyway, in that town, there are, uh, there's a seminary. There's five or six churches that belong to this particular cult. There's many other cults. And we saw a steady stream of missionaries coming and going um, in the nine years that we lived in that town. And, and they were very active, very friendly, very uh, appealing to the crowd, to the, um, to the younger people especially that lived in, in Salto. Uh, so, um, you know, not only that, so you have all these different people that are proclaiming other names, but you also have um, just kind of uh, the local, I call it kind of the homegrown um, kind of uh, false teaching as well. And one of them is very prevalent in, in uh, Uruguay. is called Macumba. Um, Macumba is, is uh, it gathers beliefs about spirit, spirits and spiritual healing. Mainly it comes from Africa and comes through Brazil. And we have an open border with Brazil. Um, and so uh, actually now in Uruguay, every night, no matter where you are, you can hear uh, Macumba worship. Um, and it's actually very hard to get out of once you're into it. We've had several people try, and um, they've come, started coming to church. They've uh, made a profession to, uh, for Christ. But we've lost two people back into Macumba from, uh, that have pr- uh, made a profession for Christ. So um, it's something that... And there's various... Uh, this is just one example. Uh, there's various uh, different religions in Uruguay. What's happened in Uruguay? Well, what's happened is in, back in the middle of the last century, um, there was a decision made to no longer uh, uh, allow any religion in schools. And in fact, you'd be very surprised to learn that in Uruguay, there's no real Roman Catholic presence, which for most of South America... Um, that's very unusual. Well, what's happened is that lack of any kind of presence of Christianity has created a huge vacuum. And so you get this uh, potpourri of all kinds of different religions and cults and sects, and it's just kind of a smorgasbord. And so um, it's really difficult going in Uruguay, but it's also so wonderful when people come to faith in Christ. No matter where we are, right? <laughs> but Uruguay is just one of those places. And um, there's a, one other example. Christian churches even, they look Christian, they sound Christian. Um, but then you realize, you hear something like, oh, at our church we have to pay for prayer. And you're like, you, what? you do What? And they're like, yeah, if we want somebody to pray for us in the congregation, we have to give them money. 
And if we want a pastor to pray for us, we have to give them more money. And you're like, okay, you know, that's off the rail. Uh, so, you know, those are kind of things that we're having to deal with in Uruguay. But I want to talk to you this morning about three ways that we continue to bring glory to God. And that's not just in Uruguay, it's anywhere, okay? And one of the first things I want to mention is we continued, if we continue to suffer to bear that name. And you know, it's been amazing to me recently. I've realized, you know, my whole world is, our world has changed. Uh, we have come back to the States. Um, we're here to stay because of something called uh, Social Security <laughs> and retirement. And, um, and we're getting used to the United States culture again. But I've realized that there's still choices that we all make every day to either glorify the Lord or to just live our own way, to live for ourselves. And it's, uh, so you're making the same choices they're making in Uruguay, and, and Laura and I are having to make as well. So we need to continue to be Christ-like, to follow him, and part of that is suffering. It's part of it. It's part of our walk with Jesus. And so um, I want to read First uh, Peter 4, and I'll start in verse 12 here, I'll read through thir- uh, 16. It says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. That's key. You know, if we weren't suffering here, we wouldn't be wishing to be and see Jesus. Amen? Um, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory, the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be for a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. You know, and that's something I marvel at the disciples. They had, they got it. They got that. They were like, they had to suffer. Every single one of them had to suffer. And tremendously. But they got it. They got it that it was all for the cause. It was worth it. It was worth it to raise up the glory in the name of Jesus. Um, so, you know, if you, it's amazing. If you were to say, uh, if somebody asked you, so, um, are you religious? I don't know if they would ask that. Um, but if they did, and you said, yeah, well, I go to a, a, a Christian Missionary Alliance church. Um, some people may say, what's that? Um, but if you said, I'm a Presbyterian or a Baptist or a Methodist, they'd probably understand. But if you said to them, I'm a Christ follower, I'm a Christian, I love the Lord Jesus Christ, um, things would start to change in that conversation. And I'm sure some of you are kind of nodding your heads. It's true, you know, um, because there's an enemy out there, and he hates that name. And as soon as we start using the name of Jesus, we start running into opposition. Um, there's a, we just need to bring glory to the name of Jesus in everything we do. I have this, uh, this happened to us in Peru. We went to Peru uh, for the first eight years. 
that we were missionaries. And um, we were renting this house, and we got robbed um, twice. Uh, they came over the back wall. It was kind of a low wall there. And um, they got in. And one of them happened while we were home, and we were asleep. And we came down the next morning, and there were burnt matches all over the floor where they had been trying to see what they were doing. So that's how, rather than turn on a light, of course, they were just, you know. And so I got mad about that, and I called the landlady, and she came over. And um, luckily, I asked a pastor friend to come over, too, and who was Peruvian. And so I kind of, we talked for a while, but then when I realized she wasn't going to do anything, and um, she said, you know, I really, I can't do anything. I got mad, and I kind of stomped out of the room. Not kind of, I stomped out of the room. And I went upstairs, and um, I was pretty rude. And um, my Peruvian friend, friend kind of, you know, smoothed things over and said, hey, he's just upset. Don't worry about it, and, um, you know, it'll be, he'll be fine. And so she left. Well, that uh, afternoon, I called up my director, um, and I said to him, I said, you know, this happened. And he said, you know what he said to me? <laughs> he said this, for the sake of the name, you need to go apologize. And I was like, oh, boy, you're right. <laughs> you know, it, we have to do uncomfortable things sometimes for the sake of the name. We really do. And when we're convicted, we need to act. You know, it's just not something. It's the Holy Spirit in us. It's the Holy Spirit alive and well in us. And it's the Holy Spirit that's saying, you need to apologize. You need to go deal with this. You need to fix this. You need to give me a chance to minister to this person, to heal them, to start uh, a new uh, relationship between you and them. And so I went. I apologized. She was very grateful. And that relationship continued. But you know that happens all the time to us. It happened not more than three weeks ago here in, in uh, Cleveland for me. You know, I, had, I was rude to somebody. I had to go back uh, and, and just say, I'm sorry. You know, we have to do that all the time, don't we? Because it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit in us. And so that brings glory to the name. Um, so um, I want to go to Acts 5. Um, this is 541, Acts 541. And uh, here we are, the, the apostles, uh, the disciples, and they're just, you know, <laughs> they're finding themselves uh, in front of the Sanhedrin quite a bit. <laughs> it's kind of like going to court often, <laughs> and that's what was happening here. And so in 541, um, this is kind of, you know, uh, this... I sometimes think, wow, how did they write this so calmly? But it says here, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And if you were to slide up there a little bit to, I think it's, uh, well, uh, verse, well, anyway, somewhere just before, yeah, verse 40, it says that they had them flogged. Okay? So they were flogged one minute, and rejoicing the next. And these are men just like us. They're just like us. They're people. And no one wants to be flogged. And I'm sure it's extremely painful. But afterwards, they're rejoicing the Lord because they could see right through it. And they were like, 
I was flogged because I was bold for the Lord. I was bold. And I'm not talking about not being cautious when we speak, but I am talking about being bold when we speak and being led by the Holy Spirit. Um, so I have um, a slide here. Um, this is Alvaro and Erika. And Alvaro works uh, at a... Are, are we good here? Yes. So anyway, there he's got tucked in his arm, Mate, um, very common in Uruguay. There's also three... Uh, Uruguay, Argentina, Paraguay, Uruguay, and uh, southern Brazil. Um, so everybody walks around like that. Um, it's kind of like us with coffee, um, but they are. this is green tea. And the thing that always scares us in North America is it's a shared straw, okay? So it just kind of goes around and comes around. And um, so, um, but anyway, I had to sidestep that a little bit with COVID. But um, now they're back to it. And um, so... Alvaro works in a hardware store. He's like in charge of the uh, the deposit, the uh, warehouse, and he has maybe fifteen delivery guys, delivery trucks that, that that deliver stuff under him. He has about sixty guys he probably works with. He's probably there's maybe one or two or three Christians in that whole group. He's by far the most outspoken, and he's uh, also the the uh, in charge. Sorry, Spanish. I'm getting blocked. Um, so um, he um, he really is somebody who just is is very uh, firm in his faith, but very understanding. He's brought a lot of guys to our church uh, to hear cry about Christ, and some of them have accepted the Lord. But he's kind of he's one of these people where you're like, wow, you know. The grace of God just is over his life. And the Lord is using him. Probably someday he'll be a pastor. His wife also is in, in uh, worship, and they do children's ministries. But probably a lot like some of you right here, you know? You're working your job. You're trying to stay firm in the Lord, and you're uh, serving him in other ways on weekends and whenever you can. Well, that's Erika and Alvaro. Um, so, uh, the second thing I want to mention is the name of Jesus is superior. So, not only do we have to suffer for the name, but it's, his name is also superior. Okay? Uh, this is, uh, I'm going to use Ephesians 1 for this. This is Ephesians 1. And I'm going to start reading in verse 18. Paul writing here. Um, and he says, in Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So right now, folks, we're here. We're in the present age, but there's one that's coming. And the name of Jesus is superior. It's going to go right through into the next age, and we'll be praising Jesus forever. Um, so... This uh, Paul's writing this, 
because he was living a tension. Um, it, it was a stress, really, where people were turning away from what they'd learned through Paul, and they were starting to feel uh, turn to other gods who were powerful. Um, and so he's saying, well, Jesus is more powerful than any of these other gods. And that is a message for Uruguayans. You know, they're turning to this God and that God, to this religion and that. And the message for them is, but Jesus Christ is all-powerful. Um, and, you know, there's something here that's important uh, to see. Um, it's in verse 20. When he was raised Christ from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly realms, the idea of the king, the reign of Jesus, that he is our king, um, it's important. It was very important to the early church. It was something they preached a lot because they realized that he had come to earth, humbled himself, and then been exalted, and that he was at the right hand of God. And so... They understood that, you know, and even David, way back before Jesus, had in some way understood that as well. In Matthew 22, um, I'll read this real quick. This is 44 and 45. And um, David says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord... How can he be his son? That's Jesus. Jesus is talking to the Sanhedrin. And he's presenting a case for the Messiah. And that the Messiah has come. And that the Messiah was going to be even greater than David. Even greater than any king before him. And the enemies here, (laughs) the enemies he's talking about, it's, uh, it's not talking about, um, uh, you know, your friend down the street who you don't get along with or, um, or somebody else that uh, maybe somebody uh, in your work that is difficult to work with. No, he's talking about the enemy. He's talking about Satan. He's talking about the real enemy who manifests himself in different ways. But boy, you know, when it comes down to it, he is our enemy. Um, so is Jesus king of your life? Is he the one that sits on your throne? I, I hope so this morning. I hope that's, that, that's who you serve and love and worship is Jesus. Um, one of the, uh, speaking of enemies and battles, one of the weapons that we have as, uh, as Christians, probably the most powerful weapon is prayer. And I wanted to tell you real briefly about a story about a lady named Allison. She's in our church. She's the treasurer, actually, of our church in Salto. And um, Allison has a... She's on her second marriage. She's been married twice. Um, and um, the uh, her second marriage really has not gone very well. Um, her husband is a truck driver. He's away a lot. But the time alone that he spends on the road has also had caused him to have some mental issues. And so he will come home sometimes. He'll be very agitated. Um, and it's even gotten to the point of just uh, explosive outbursts at home. His son's afraid of him. Um, he even hears things that aren't there. He's been um, 
put in uh, a clinic a couple of times. It got to the point, it got so bad for Allison that she said to us in a private meeting one time, she said, um, I'm thinking about divorcing my husband. And we knew how she felt, but we didn't agree that that was the option for her. And so we were praying and fasting for Allison and our whole ministerial team. We were getting together all the time and praying for her. And, you know, uh, probably a month, month and a half went by. And one night she came into church a little bit early and I was there. And she pulled me aside and she said, you're not going to believe it. And I'm like, okay, what do you mean? And she said, it's gone. And the difference in Spanish between it's gone and he's gone is just a little, you know, se fue y fuiste. And so um, I'm like, what's gone? And she said, my hate. My hate. I don't know what happened. It's gone. Disappeared. And boy, I'll tell you, we had a prayer meeting that night (laughs) of rejoicing. And that's what God does. That's one of the things he does. He changes our hearts. And she said to me, she said, you know, I'm not going to, I don't think anymore even, you know, well, if he does this, I'll do this. She's like, no, I give up. I just, it's gone. It's gone. She said, I'm going to continue to love him. And we're going to stay together as a couple. And praise God for those miracles. Amen. Praise God. The power of prayer. And then lastly, his name is powerful under salvation. This is uh, uh, Acts 4, 12. Um, Find it here. So this is another one of those those passages where you're like, okay. Um, So Acts 4, 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. A lot of us know that verse. If we've taken an evangelism class, uh, we would know that verse. But the amazing thing about this verse for me is that Peter says this in front of the Sanhedrin again. It's like the court. There he is. And he's, he's so bold about it that afterwards they recognize his courage, it says here. They recognize that these two were speaking and they weren't learned men. They hadn't studied all that these people in the court had studied. But they were coming out with these statements and they realized it was the power of God. They could see it. And you know, the other little proof was this man that had been lame and not walking for 40 years standing beside them. And they had asked, the Sanhedrin had asked them a few verses before that, they had asked him, by what authority or what name did you do this? (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) That would be an opportunity, wouldn't it? (laughs) To say something, you know, because they were like, we see what's happened. The whole town knew about it. And um, so how did it happen? Only Jesus. Amen. Only Jesus. So um, uh, I want to kind of start wrapping this up. And um, I want to tell you a story about Mima. Um, this is a, a really unexpected thing that happened to us. Um, we were we uh, we were living in we rented our last house for the last four years. We had you know the houses are are right beside each other, 
So our gate and our neighbor's gate was right together. And um, so our neighbor friend, neighbor lady was Mima. And a widow uh, had lived in that house her whole life and was quite well known in town but hardly ever left the house. But people would stop by at her gate and chat with her and she had this dog. And... So anyway, Mima in the morning, every morning she would be out there sweeping her little piece of walk. And she was elderly and she uh, didn't have a dustpan um, uh, with a handle on it. And so she would just, you know, sweep it over to our sidewalk and leave it. And so, you know, we learned to live with this at first. We're kind of like, what? And then we're like, okay, let's not worry about it. And she would say to us, well, it's going to rain and it'll wash it, you know, down the hill. And um, so we lived with that for a while. And, uh, but we got to know Mima, we always talked to her, and, and so um, she would give us things, and uh, something about Uruguayans is if you take over like a plate of cookies or something, the next day they'll bring something to your house. Uh, that's just the way it is. Um, and so th- one of the last days, we're getting ready to leave our home, and uh, we'd sold everything and, uh, because we knew we wouldn't be going back, and I had this dustpan with a handle on it. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm taking that to Mima, you know, I'm, that's going to her. So the last day, I took it over there. And it was thrilled me the next morning. She's out there with a little dustpan, you know, and I'm thinking, well, the next people that move in here have no idea about the blessing they're going to receive. <laughs> but anyway, um, so she invited us over into our home uh, that last day. We had uh, never been inside, went in, and there on her table was a quiche. And she had bought this quiche, and it was for us. And uh, my wife was like, oh, my goodness, I didn't even, she had no idea what we were going to have for lunch. Not only what we were going to eat, but we had nothing to eat with. And so we had this quiche. And then I said to Mima, because a thought just came to my head, through my head, I just thought, I really ought to ask her to pray, because I don't know when I'll, if I'll ever see Mima again. So I said to her, I said, uh, Mima, um, could I pray uh, for you? And she thought about it for a little bit, and then she said, okay. Uh, so I prayed, and I prayed a prayer of salvation for her, because I, I was just like, you know, this could be the only time that anybody will ever pray a prayer of salvation for Mima. And afterwards, she just absolutely shocked me. I don't know. Uh, she looked up at me, and she said in her own way, you know, she said, Um, I receive what you prayed for me. And I was like, wow, Lord, how come I didn't give her the dustpan with a handle three years ago and, you know, ask to pray for her? You know, sometimes we're pretty slow, aren't we? But, you know, praise the Lord that even if we get to it, it happens. Um, So um, I want to close with this verse. It's uh, Colossians 3.17. This actually is a verse that um, my wife, when she came to seminary and we were not married, she was headed to Africa um, as a missionary nurse, and we kind of intersected. And um, this was her verse, and this is what it says. This is Colossians uh, 3.17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do. That gives you plenty of freedom. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you're doing today, do it for the glory of God. 
and tomorrow and the next day. Amen? Um, in order to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we need to put other people's needs before our own. And my wife is so good at this. She thinks about others. And I have to actually, I have to work at that. But she does it naturally. And I'm sure here in this room, there's all kinds of talents. And some of you very naturally think of others. And I'd encourage you to just act on your thoughts. And I'm sure you probably do. Um, Because whatever we do brings glory to God. Amen. So if there's someone... This today that came to your mind when I was talking about me having to go apologize, if there's somebody maybe you need to go apologize to, please do it. The Lord is telling you to do it. Um, is the Lord on your throne in your life? Is He your reason for living, for serving, for doing all that you do? Is it Jesus? And... Um, And I just want to end with the words from this song. Um, This is a song. It's called What He's Done. And I'm not going to read all the words, but it says this uh, one phrase. Sing the name above all names over every broken place. He is risen from the grave. Let's pray together. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We thank you, Lord, for, for your patience with us and your love for us. And, Lord, we want to be that mustard seed, that, that small but persistent witness for you. We want to bring you glory in all that we do. And that's not easy, Lord, sometimes. But thank you for your forgiveness. And thank you, Lord, that you want all people to come to know you. All people, Lord. Forgive us for judging. Forgive us for selecting. Help us, Lord. Help us to go to our neighbor. Help us to go even to family members that we've been hurt by, Lord. Help us. Thank you, Lord. And thank you, Lord, for, for this church that has had missions at their forefront for so long, so many years, for all they've done to expand the kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for their dedication. Thank you for their giving, for their praying, and going in many cases, sending. Lord, I just pray they'd be encouraged today, because I certainly am. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being here today in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.